Hi, and welcome to the Horror Stacks podcast, a horror books podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Waylon Jordan. And I'm your other host, Sam Kolyasnik. Hi, Sam. It's good to uh, be here together. To uh, This is our premiere episode. This is so cool. Um, I, I thought before we could get started today, we might just sort of tell people who we are. <laughs> because... Who knows? Nobody, you know, they, they might not uh, have any idea who we are or why we're doing this. So I was going to let you start with that. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay, sure. Um, I'm Sam. I'm the author of the novella True Crime out now by Grindhouse Press. I'm also the owner of a small horror press called Off Limits Press. Um, and just a longtime horror fan. How about you, Waylon? Well, uh, longtime horror fan. I've been a book reviewer for iHorror.com for the last six years. Uh, I am also a, a novelist. My first uh, novel came out earlier this year. Um, it is a fantasy romance called The Lotus and the Gathering Storm, which you can find on Amazon. And uh, I also had some work published in uh, an anthology that you put together earlier this year for Grindhouse called Worst Laid Plans, which was really cool. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it it goes without saying that we're both just really big book nerds. And... <laughs> <laughs> And we love horror. And uh, I think that was all we really needed after all this time of knowing each other to say, hey, why don't we do a podcast? Because everybody else is doing one. So um, <laughs> it's always that, the best reason to do something, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, why not? <laughs> I like books. I like talking about them. And, and I want, you know, I want our listeners to kind of think of this as like their spooky book club. You know, I want them I want them to be able to, you know, sort of read along and, and maybe, you know, be able to sort of like feel like they're a part of the process as well. I don't want to just tell people about books. I want to get people reading books, too. So I think that's a really important part of kind of why we're doing this as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into uh, the book that we're going to be talking about today. And um, just to give listeners a little bit of background about how we came to deciding which book to review for our <laughs> first episode, um, we basically, just to kind of make it fair to each other, I had Waylon pick five books he wanted to read. I picked five books I wanted to read. And then I picked one from Waylon's list and he picked one from my list. Um, and so we went with, uh, the one that I picked from Wayland's list first, which is Miscreations, Gods, Monstrosities, and Other Horrors, which is a horror anthology, uh, edited by Bram Stoker award-winning editors, Doug Morano and Michael Bailey. And this, this anthology is so cool. I mean, it really is. It, it really I, is. The I, story selection yeah. was amazing. It, it. It's a beautiful, um, first of all, it's a beautiful looking book. Like just the cover art itself is fantastic, I think. So it definitely drew me in. But the curation of stories and poetry, there there are a few poems in this anthology, um, 
is outstanding. Like I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it wins a Bram Stoker award. It's a, it's a really solid anthology. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, if it doesn't make the short list, I will be shocked. I, I just, you know, this is the kind of anthology that, that people kind of live for the people who really like short fiction, poetry, things like that. You know, this, this was made for you. And especially if you like monsters, because I, you know, I, horror is so many things, but like, you know, we, we sometimes, I think, especially in the past 30 years or so, monsters have kind of been pushed to the side. It's, you know, we've had more slashers and, and we've gone into some of the supernatural stuff and well, let's face it, there was a glut of zombies uh but you know it, it just the sort of classic feel of a monster uh i really like that about that uh, about this anthology well, it, so yeah. much... it it ha it definitely has a great theme but I, I think what it did which which uh is really interesting to me and which excited me about it is it actually it had a very broad interpretation of the theme and i think that's why it says like gods monstrosities and um and other horrors. And so, and I think Alma, um, author Alma Katsu, who you may know from um, her books, uh, The Hunger and The Deep, which just came out um, not too long ago, she wrote a really great foreword to this anthology that I thought set a nice tone for how this isn't just going to be your typical incarnation of monsters. And even if it is built on a typical incarnation of a monster, these these authors have taken it and really run with it. They've, yes. They've really done some different things with it. Like, let's just, okay, let's just start with the first story. <laughs> it's called A Heart Arrhythmia Creeping Into a Dark Room. It was written by Michael Wehunt and oh my god i i mean it was the anxiety of <laughs> author and an artist brought to life it's i don't know how you felt reading it but i <laughs> actually had heart palpitations while i was reading the book it's the type of story i read as a writer um to where i was thinking to myself wow this is a really bold choice not only for him to have written it, but also for it to be an opener to a horror anthology, because it's not your typical horror story. It was very creative, um, very meta, but it was so effective. And I agree with you as somebody who has, I have anxiety. Um, and it, by the end of that, um, it, it definitely, it definitely hit home. It's a great story. <laughs> it's the type of story to where I finished reading it and I had to tweet about it and I had to look up his other books because I thought, wow, who is this author? This is beautiful writing. It really was. And and you you mentioned that it was meta. I, I love that he actually incorporated, I'm on a deadline and I have <laughs> to have this story for this anthology called Miscreations that I'm trying to get into, I have to have it done by a certain day and the day is approaching and, and just built this beautiful sort of monster out of his own anxiety that's mm -hmm. coming closer and closer as the deadline gets closer. It's gorgeous writing. It is. <laughs> it was. It was so gorgeous writing. Absolutely. And that, again, that was a heart arrhythmia creeping into a dark room, which is the opening story. And that's by Michael Wehunt. Another story that 
really caught me by surprise and that I really ended up liking a lot was uh, Butcher's Blend by Brian Hodge. For the first half of the, not even the first half, for the first couple of pages, I really wasn't sure about the POV. I wasn't really feeling it. And as the story went on, by the time that story finished, I was mad that it was over. I was like, wow, I really wish Brian had written an entire novel in this world. Well, yeah, it feels like we were getting the opening act. Yeah, yeah. But it was so effectively immersive. Um, You know, like I, I could see other stories taking place in that sort of dystopian um environment that he built well and and to give give the listeners just a little bit more about it basically it's this dystopia where it's very darkly religious and anyone who does not conform to the religious ideas are sent to these camps where they are sort of re-educated and then if the re-education doesn't take they just Mm -hmm. start cutting body parts off to teach you a lesson. And I really love the idea that they ultimately created the monster that mm-hmm. would come after them and possibly be their undoing. It just, wow, I was knocked out by that. And and it goes into that theme of what's a monster, what's a human, who are the real monsters here? And even though something looks monstrous, toward the end it's you know actually this sort of avenging force and god i love that so much it actually that story broke my heart reading and for personal reasons you know the the central characters that they were talking about were part of the lgbtq community and and uh, that's that's my community and and so i really felt that you know someone who grew up in a super religious environment and and had that kind of thing sort of looming in the background and so yeah that that butcher's blend and again that was by brian hodge man what a story i wanted to ask you about and i am going to butcher this title <laughs> but matryoshka is that is that how that is pronounced is yeah uh, mat- because- matryoshka yeah by um joanna yeah yeah that was I really liked that story um that you know for me that one explored uh themes of motherhood legacy maternal legacy and trauma um and maternal sacrifice that was a very that was a heavy story that one definitely um got my emotions up too. I'd say overall, this was a very like emotionally evocative anthology. Well, yeah. And again, not necessarily what you first expect when you're looking Mm -hmm. at monster stories. No. That story really, you know, I mean, when it got into what would you do to have a child? What would you do for your child once you have them? That kind of thing. As someone who's not a parent, even I was affected by that. And and even I was sort of drawn into what would I do? You know, and if I did have a child, what would I do to do that? Um, I agree. So yeah. Texas, 
or to have them or whatever. So yeah, I just thought it was a really sort of heart wrenching kind of story that I, I, I really, and was drawn to. Um, well, absolutely. It was hard to go back to your comment, you know, even though I, when you said, even though I wasn't a parent or I'm not a parent, right. You said, even though I'm not a parent, I was able to relate to that. Well, I am a parent, but I think, I think part of the reason that that story is still relatable is because it, I think it did a great job of showing things, even though it was from child's, the, the daughter's POV throughout the story, it still showed, I thought, like the other perspective of the generations that came before her. So I thought it was, I thought it was a very almost, it was a very subtle way of sort of showing both sides of that narrative, even though it was from a singular POV. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and, and the author did such a good job of sort of pulling you in and made this sort of insular world very, very real. Like, I felt like these characters were real. I felt like I was watching it happen right in front of me. Some of the action that happened within it, which is absolutely harrowing. And, and I don't want to spoil anything, but you guys really need to, like, like read this story. It is so good. And um, once again, that was Matroshka by Joanna Parapinski. Um, Another one that I, you know, when we were talking about um, Butcher's Blend a minute ago, and we were talking about how it, it had sort of a parallel of, you know, real world horror in terms of, you know, obviously there were allusions in that story to conversion therapy, um, which is horrible. Um, another another story that I felt was a little bit similar um, was Operations Other Than War by Nadia Bulkin. Yeah. Yeah. In that, like it, you know, it, it takes place in a fictional world, presumably, but it almost at times doesn't quite feel like a fictional world because of how much I felt, you know, it paralleled certain things going on in the world today, which is interesting. It sort of blurs the line. You know, we, we read dystopian fiction and yes, it's fictional, but it starts to get really kind of scary and touch on all those horror elements when you realize certain elements of dystopia in fiction mirror your everyday world. You know what I mean? Your everyday existence. Well, yeah. And, and you know, I, and I think that's the reason why dystopian novels and such are so popular and have especially been popular these last few years is because they do, like, they take parts of our real world and say, but what if this was like how everything was mm -hmm. and and draw you into that i i really like the device of operations other than war this this idea of this giant being that was there that was supposed to protect this small nation and all the horror that happened not because not because they were like using that against anyone else, but because everyone else was like, Oh, they have something that we don't have. So we can't trust that. And, and God, that was, that was so well done. It was, it was really well so, done. I thought it also, I thought that story in particular touched on something that was interesting too, in terms of how we view military heroes and that you had, uh -huh. yeah. Did you catch that as well? Yeah. You had two characters there and they both had fought in the same war and one came back uninjured. One came back, I believe 
like with a per permanent injury, right? Like he was, I'd, I'd have to go back and check, but one came back and he had, he had been injured in the war and they were viewed differently by their society. Well, and, and the one who was injured was dealing with a lot of the psychological mm -hmm. fallout of and, and dealing with the PTSD and was, was an alcoholic and, and, was unable to function anymore after what he saw in the war. And, and I think that is, you know, and the other is this shining example of masculinity and, you know, I'm still wearing my uniform and my showing off my, my badges of honor and everything. So I, I thought that was really important to, to show that, you know, once again, going back to and talking about that duality, what is who is the real hero here? Is it the guy who's, you know, walking around with his chest out or is it the guy that can't even function in a day to day life? Right. You know, and yeah, that was that was played out really, really. I well. thought, well, yeah, I, I thought it was. And just showing and it's through the POV of, um, you know, the injured soldier or veteran, I should say, the injured veteran's um, son, which was interesting too, to see how that, you know, affects the next generation. So that, that, was, a, that was a very interesting story. That made me want to read more of um, Nadia Bulkin's work because I just, I thought it was really creative and insightful. Yeah. And, and, you know, once again, and with this story, the same way as with Matryoshka, um, getting into that generational trauma and how trauma sort of doesn't just affect the person who experiences it, but also seeps down into the next generation. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, his, and this, this son, his entire life is consumed by trying to figure out what it was that really happened to his father. And, and it informed his educational choices. It informed his traveling choices. It informed who he was in a relationship with. Yep. I mean, just so many things from the fallout of, of war. This one, yeah, war. I thought that was. I thought that was just really, um, really interesting. That you know, she was able to explore how that war permeated every aspect. Um, speaking of trauma, um, in as it's explored in this anthology. Uh, a story that I absolutely loved. And this was my first time reading Max Booth III, um, the story, You Are My Neighbor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Strong, strong reaction. I, I really liked, I really liked that story. Um, it was for me, I don't know, like it, it it was one of those stories similar to the Brian Hodge story to where I wanted to know more at the end. And of course, you know, we don't get more. These are short stories, but I was, I was very captivated um, by this sort of idea of it, it basically, I'm not, I'm trying not to spoil the story, but there is a boy who doesn't have a great home life um, to say the least. And he sort of is taken taken by this idea, at least this, this is how I interpreted the story of the grass is greener, you know, elsewhere. And it, it kind of goes, I feel like it goes down that, um, down that route. I almost, I felt like the story was, you know, allegorical in some ways. It was, it was an interesting story for me. 
it really was for me too. And and my reaction was mostly for the ending because I did not see that ending. Thing. Uh, I I really I didn't know what was going to happen, but I did not think it was going to be that. So you know, and and just really kind of taking in the idea of what would you do to escape? And then what if your escape turns out to be even worse mm-hmm. than, than what you had? It was dark. Um, it was a dark story. That, <laughs> it really, it really was. was. It I was really like, was. wow, Max. Cause Max, like I, you know, and on Twitter, he's very like, there's a lot of humor <laughs> and everything. And so I think like, I, you know, I, I love seeing, seeing that kind of disparity though, you know? And so when I read the story, I was like, Wow, this was a real gut punch. Like <laughs> since we're since we're kind of in the in the vein of talking about like generational trauma and 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 things like he, that for this, there were a couple of stories that that I kind of wanted to uh, bring up, and we can backtrack to some other stuff as well. But like Frankenstein's mm-hmm. daughter by Theodora Gross, and then also the making of Asylum Ophelia. Um, by Mercedes Yardley. I, I was, I, there, I don't know what was so unsettling about the making of Asylum Ophelia to me, but I was just unnerved the entire time that I was reading it. And, you know, basically the story is about this woman who has raised her daughter. She won't let her go outside. She won't let her interact with anybody. She... She dresses her perfectly. She keeps her hair mm-hmm. long and beautiful. She's always, you know, braiding flowers into it and everything and trying to turn this child into Ophelia, despite the fact that Ophelia, you know, goes crazy and dies in in Hamlet and is, you know, trying to make this perfect sort of idea of femininity and, and all of these things and forcing that upon this child while keeping them locked away from the world and that one just really bothered me the entire time because you know Ophelia makes an escape but then she doesn't know what to do with because she's been so insulated the entire time so do you run back home do you accept that you know that you're out now I mean it was such a really intense story. There were, it was it was very intense. It was disturbing. Um it I felt like there were a lot of different interpretations, you know, of like broader meanings that could be derived from that story. And those are kind of my favorite kinds of short stories. Um yeah, I mean just, you know, even ex, you know, even just exploring you know, the parent-child link and how you want to obviously protect your child and make sure, you know, I think I think there's something innately relatable, um, but obviously this parent takes it to a grotesque extreme, and then just showing too that because the child wasn't allowed to, like you said, explore or experience life, then freedom suddenly becomes. It's just a caring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it was it was interesting. That was a, that was a very. That, that's the type of story I feel you could write whole essays on, you know? I mean, it was, it was a really interesting story. Yeah. And, and then moving over to like Frankenstein's daughter, the most interesting thing about Frankenstein's daughter to me, now I love the entire story, but the, the most interesting thing to me was like the ending where, 
you know, this, basically the idea is that there's this explorer who's been trying to, you know, navigate the Northwest Passage and try to get through this, you know, super Arctic type situation. And he gets injured and, well, actually he gets put off ship because nobody can stand him. And, you know, he ends up being taken in by the daughter of Frankenstein's creation. And who, you know, at the end of the of uh, Shelley's novel kind of floated off into the Arctic and, and we weren't really mm-hmm. sure what happened. And, and so now you have this whole story told once again in like, you know, in, in letter format um, where he's like just relating. This is what, you know, I'm, I met this, this woman and then it turned out that the, the creature was her father and everything. But what was really fascinating to me, sorry, I'm just kind of rambling is the, um, the ending where the, the daughter uh, Frankenstein's daughter writes as a letter to this author's sister reaching out to her and saying, you know, I know that in our world and in our society, there may not be a real place for us, but I think that you and I might have some things in common from what your brother told me about you. So I'm sending some seeds and, and things that maybe you can like, like look into and study because I'm interested in botany and you're interested in botany and maybe, you know, we can correspond and, and just that seed that's planted of a possible new relationship in all of this was really, it was interesting. Yeah. That one was interesting because it, you know, it did have that sort of like canonical foundation and horror. So that's always interesting when people build on that in fiction. Can we talk for a moment about the story that messed me up? Like the story in this anthology <laughs> that really got into That's why we're here. So, <laughs> I, and I loved it. Like this, this might be like my favorite story in the whole anthology. I don't know. It's really hard to pick in this anthology, but Spectral Evidence by Victor Laval, like that story got under my skin and stayed there. I thought that was such a creepy, unsettling, sad story. And it was, I thought it was paced perfectly. And that story to give just a little bit of an overview without spoiling it, but it's about a psychic whose child has passed away and it it delves into themes about grief and the afterlife. And it's, it's a really good story. This anthology, honestly, in my opinion, would be worth and, and all of the stories are great, but this would, this anthology would be worth picking up um, just for that story alone, because I think it's, it's just a fantastic short story. Yeah. And it's incredibly written. It is, it is written so well, but yeah, the, the whole idea of, of, exploring from the point of view of a psychic medium and and exploring what happens when when you mm-hmm. lose someone and how you deal with that further going into also if you have a gift to be able to see and communicate with spirits what happens when the spirit of someone that you loved 
doesn't really communicate with you or doesn't really, Well, I think for me, like the, the real hook of the story, right? Like is when you look at, at least for me, when, you know, in terms of like psychics, you know, um, in fiction um, or otherwise, right? Like it's, they're communicating, right? With things beyond your everyday Joe's world, right? So already they're sort of immersed in this different type of environment. But when you get to what scares the psychic and what disturbs the psychic, I think that makes it even creepier. And I think this story kind of explores that. It's almost like, you know, it's like when that person who's totally cool and calm under pressure suddenly loses their shit. That's when you know, (laughs) that's when you know, like things are really wrong. I felt like it was almost like that in this story to where it's like this person knows so much more. This fictional character knows so much more than your everyday person about what's beyond the veil, so to speak. And it goes into something that kind of gets under their skin. And that's what I just I love that story. That story should be in many anthologies. (laughs) I'm a new fan, apparently, (laughs) of Victor Laval, so. Well, and I'll tell you another one that really, really stood out to me, mostly because it is it came from such a different culture than a lot of things that we see, especially here in the States with with horror. And that was Resurrection okay. Points mm-hmm. by Usman T. Malik. And oh, my God, just just once again, going it. I don't know why so many stories in this in this anthology ended up dealing with parents and children and, and things like that yeah, but like territory so well. <laughs> but but just the the idea of this family of healers and these healers who can use the energy of their own body to heal what's going on in someone else's body and how that ultimately can be turned into this really dark thing at the end of at the end of the the story i mean <laughs> and you have this conflict between different religions and and religious views and uh being forced once again to conform to the religion of your the country that you're in and and how that all kind of falls into place that story really bothered me and especially the ending um just you know taking that power and turning it into something that mm-hmm. is really really dark something that's meant to heal another story that's um, kind of that reminds me a little bit of your comment there at the end about endings was not eradicated in you by bracken mcleod the ending for that because that was sort of the I feel like that parallels your commentary um about the ending of the other story and that like there was this healing intent but it brings about something that's monstrous um and not eradicated in you is actually another story that deals with parents and children and trauma <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot like I said there's a lot of fertile territory in that in fiction to talk about um you know for horror well and you would know because if anybody's read true crime holy oh. crap I mean well yeah not yeah I think um yeah no I I appreciate that but yeah that's um not eradicated in you another story to where you have um kind of a more supernatural story, but you have a child who is trying to cope with 
um, a parent who is struggling and neglectful. Um, and the child goes to unusual uh, lengths to try to solve her problem and to try to overcome her neglect. And um, that was a story that really didn't hit me until the end. And I thought it, it had a really right. interesting ending, um, very powerful ending with that story. Um, uh, another one sort of along those lines of, of creating and, and bringing to life something that, that doesn't go the way that, that you thought it should go. Uh, Imperfect Clay by Lisa. Oh, yeah. Um, that was an interesting story. That was super fun to read. <laughs> so the whole premise of this story, you know, basically is that um, this woman is gifted magically and, and her gift runs toward life and she takes on that she wants to move beyond being an apprentice. And so she takes on this project where she's going to create a person. She's going to create a man. And, and nobody's ever been able to do it before. And she does it in such a way that she sort of breaks with tradition and is actually able to accomplish this, this rare and incredible thing. And everyone loves him and everyone wants to be around him and, and all of these things. But slowly you see that he is becoming mm -hmm. something dark. And, and I really, you know, I really like the way that, you know, that, that story dealt with obsession and dealt with, you know, toxic masculinity and, and so many other things wrapped in a story very similar to, to like. A well, she created, yeah, that, that was an interesting story for me. First of all, I thought it was super fun to read, just had a great, um, you know, great pacing, really great writing. But what's interesting to me about that is, you know, the characters creating, you have that classic character who has power and wants to do something and doesn't stop to ask, should I do this? And I thought that was really well explored um, in the story. Um, I'm trying to think of ones we haven't touched on, but, you know, it's okay. We don't have to touch on every single story. Well... I do want to bring up one, even though while we were, you know, actually reading the book, you, you mentioned that it was not your favorite. Um, and that was The oh, Last mm -hmm. Transformation uh, by Josh Mallerman, um, who, you know, wrote Bird Box and, and a couple of other novels that, that I really enjoyed. Um, God, I love this story. And and uh, the reason why, I think, is because I have seen, like, wolfman, <laughs> werewolf-type stories in so many different ways and used in so many different ways. But I don't think I've ever come across it um, where it's been used as mm -hmm. an allegory for addiction. And, and, and oh, just one more time. And I'm just going <laughs> to do this one more time because the last time I did it I didn't know that it was going to be the last time so I'm going to do it one more time so that I know it's the last time and then I'll be able to quit and I really liked that sort of internal monologue that went on throughout that story of 
you know, someone who's addicted to something, even though it's not a substance or, or anything like that, like we normally see, and and sort of transforming the story into something where you're dealing with much more than than just oh I become a monster once once a month and because the the man has agency he can choose not to become the monster mm-hmm. once a month and and you know and so having that choice but still making the choice to go out and kill still making the choice knowing full well that once you transform he's choosing something he's choosing self a self destruct choosing to do something self destructive even though he could have, yeah, he does Absolutely. have another option in the story, which, yeah, that was, that was interesting. I agree. Um, just to kind of, you know, as we get along here, just to sort of wrap up, I thought, you know, we just talk a little bit about anthologies in general. Um, Before we jump over to that, I, I just want to say, even though I know it may be like the weirdest thing in the entire book, but Ode to Jode the Toad, if you are a fan of dark fantasy, if you like weird worlds created around weird characters and and unexpected places and stuff, Ode to Jode the Toad by Laird Baron. Oh my God, you have to read this story. <laughs> just trust me. Pick up this anthology read the story i can't tell you anything about it without spoiling everything but man the story is good and 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 I, yeah that one read. was the really that did. that one the style is so distinctive that was definitely like the most off the wall story i'd say in the entire anthology and that is <laughs> that's not a bad thing um but you'll you'll know it just by you know if you just read even the first page of that story you'd go yep this is definitely the most off the wall <laughs> story in well and yeah and and something that's completely different than every it is else it is it's actually i think that i think that story stands out because it is so tonally different i felt from everything else in the anthology which again not a bad thing um but yeah no so overall we didn't touch on every single thing in this anthology but for me all of them were well crafted um stories um you know, with definitely, I think every person's going to have different standouts. It's always interesting to me with anthologies to, I love reading reviews of anthologies more so than I love reading reviews of um, novels and novellas. And I love reading all reviews. But the reason I love reading reviews of anthologies is I just love seeing how different people connect to different stories in a single anthology. Um, so Waylon, just out of curiosity, like, what would you say were your like, favorites you know in this anthology just stories that doesn't mean they're the best stories in the anthology so nobody gets offended but i'm just saying ones that you know you felt hit home for you the most well definitely a heart arrhythmia creeping into uh, the dark room butcher's blend yeah butcher's blend um one last one last transformation and probably well, the making of asylum. Ophelia that's so interesting. So we're like, we're, see, and that's what I love about it because we're a little bit different. Like my, I'd say mine were a heart arrhythmia creeping into a dark room by Michael Weehunt. So we connect there, Butch, butcher's blend by Brian Hodge, definitely. And then I would go operations other than war by Nadia Bulkin. 
um, Spectral Evidence by Victor Laval, Umbra Sum, which by Christy Demeser, which we didn't talk about. And um, one of the poems, um, The Vodyanoi by Christina Soon. I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name, so I apologize if I didn't get it right. Um, but yeah, overall, even the stories that didn't necessarily, you know, um, you know, even the stories that I didn't think, you know, that didn't wow me in particular, um, I thought this was just overall such a beautiful, um, beautifully crafted anthology. And going into an anthology, I'll say this as a reader, when I pick up an anthology, everybody's different when they, they're buying books. But when I pick up an anthology, I don't expect to love every story because I'm very aware that my taste is particular right. to me. So when I'm picking up an anthology, like I kind of expect to be pushed outside of my normal reading zones a bit and to discover new authors and to try different things. So, um, so for me, I'm not... I know some people like they'll have a lower review of an anthology if they didn't like a few stories. For me, I'm not that way. I expect to not connect with every single story in an anthology. Um, that's just me. What about you, Waylon? Oh, absolutely. You know, and and I feel like I feel yeah. like an anthology is like a treasure chest, and, and you know, not everything that's in the chest is for me. Not everything is going to catch my eye, but. Um, it's, it's really something that you go in and you're going to find the gems. You're going to find the things that really stand out for you. And that's what I really like about um, <clears throat> a good anthology. I wanted to ask you, as someone who has assembled an anthology, uh, what is it like from the editor's point of view? Sort of like, you know, sitting down to read these stories and, and find the path I think it's one of those things. Um, that's a great question. I think it's one of those things to where um, I'll give you an example, like the editor, um, one of the editors I work with over at Off Limits Press, her name is Carmen Wells. And she told me a great line, which is no two copy edits are ever the same. And I feel like that's the same way with anthologies and approaches to them. Um, you know, even if you're using the same sort of method, whether it's an open call or whether it's invite only, or maybe you're doing a hybrid, um, you're going to have, every editor is going to have different taste and every editor is going to have a different approach. Um, so I think, I think one of the things that you can tell though, no matter who the editor is, is if there was care put into the curation and care put into the design and the um, the editing process. And this is hands down, like I can tell a lot of time and a lot of care and energy went into this anthology. Um, and it's definitely deserving of, um, more attention in my opinion. Well, yeah. And you know, it's one thing when you're just dealing with your own thoughts and writing your own story, but then when you're, you're looking through all of these different stories and finding, finding the points, finding the beats, you know, you find the things that, that, that speak in such a way that you just know that they kind of work together. They may not be the same. They may not be, um, you know, the same kinds of stories or anything like that, but just finding the path to creating that anthology. I think it's a beautiful process. I think it's probably a whole lot of work that, that goes on behind the scenes to, to create it. But, 
but when it's done well, like you said, it's something that, it is, that yeah. really does stand out. And I don't think I've ever read an anthology where I liked everything in it, but mm-hmm. this one came close. I really it came close for me as well. Um, yeah. I, and again, this anthology, the title is, as we wrap up here, the title is Miscreations, Gods, Monstrosities, and Other Horrors. And it is edited again by Bram Stoker award-winning editors, Doug Morano and Michael Bailey. Um, and it is currently available basically wherever books are sold. And you can, um, you know, you can even get it for currently $3.95 on Kindle. I think that's a great price for this. I mean, you're really... You're getting a bar. Uh, trust me, you're getting a yeah. huge bargain um, buying this on Kindle because it's a it's an outstanding anthology. This is one that if you are a collector, um, if you you know if you do have a horror collection, I would say go ahead and get the print copy, get the hardcover, um, or at least get the paperback because it's this is a good one. Like this is one you'll want to read. Uh, as we are wrapping up, I also thought, could you uh, could you throw out? I know that uh, our next selection is going to be uh, yes. So if flesh. you um, subscribe, you'll hear back from us soon, and we are going to be talking about a book that has really taken horror readers by storm. Like I've seen this book pop up with rave reviews everywhere over social media. It is called "Tender Is the Flesh" by. Augustina Basterica. Um, and it has like, I follow certain, re- I follow a lot of different reviewers. Um, cause I have, you know, pretty broad taste in horror, but the ones, um, that I follow who are into more, you know, like, uh, who can basically handle or like to read more transgressive, darker stuff. They've been like, wow, this book made my stomach turn. <laughs> like this book really got to me. So I'm, I'm very <laughs> curious to see what we have in store. I'm excited to read this one. Again, it's Tender is the Flesh by Agustina Basterica. It has a very, it has an awesome cover, um, very bright cover. And that's currently out now. So um, if you stay tuned, we'll let you know what we think. Yeah, and definitely check back with us. Make sure you subscribe if you like what we're doing here. Uh, and if you want to reach out to us, if you're an independent author or an author who has a book that you'd like to possibly be featured at some point on the Horror Stacks, you can reach out to us at thehorrorstacks at gmail.com. Um, so and and please do not hesitate to reach out to yep us absolutely thank you so much for listening